Welcome to Through the Bible with Dr. Michelle and Friends. Hi, everyone. My name is Dr. Michelle, and this is session number seven in our revelatory walk through the scripture. We're learning the account, the narrative of the Word of God, what God has done in the past, and also we are encountering God's presence and His heart for us for our modern day lives. So we are looking at the book of Exodus, and we'll be going through chapters 14 through 26. And I pray that as we, we go through this week's study and the different parts of it, that our hearts would be open and that we would experience God in a new way because truly He desires for us to come close to Him, to come near to Him. That's what Jesus is all about. Jesus is God coming near to us, Emmanuel, God with us. And so we have this opportunity to go through the scripture, to learn from the patriarchs, to learn from those who walk before us and realize that the God God who did amazing things through them is the same God who's able to do amazing things through you. So I pray that your heart would be enriched, your eyes would be opened, and that your soul will find rest in the promises of God. So in the last session, we read that the children of Israel were being enslaved. They were in Egypt and 400 years had passed from the death of Joseph and a new king arose who did not know Joseph nor um, and was threatened by the children of Israel. And so they are enslaved and they cry out to the Lord and the Lord raises up a deliverer in the person of Moses. He sends Moses into Egypt to the Pharaoh and causes him to confront Pharaoh and request that God's people are let go. Now what happens is Pharaoh's heart is hardened, but God lets Moses know beforehand that this would be the case because God wants to sh to deliver the Israelites with a mighty hand, but also to reveal to all of Egypt, including to the Pharaoh, who is seen as a god in his own right, um, that he is greater than any pagan god, greater than any sacrificial system, greater than anybody and anything. And so through the signs and the wonders, through the ten plagues, Finally, Israel is let go and they flee from Egypt through the night. They're able to take the gold and the silver of their neighbors. They ask permission and they receive them. As they come out, what happens? They encounter the sea. Pharaoh, when he realizes what has happened, comes after them. And the scripture says that he brings 600 chosen chariots. And through a miraculous work, the Red Sea is open, the Israelites go through on dry ground, and the Egyptians pursue after them, and the sea is closed upon them. So the Israelites are spared, they have gone through, they have escaped, and now they're ready to go to the place where God has called them to worship Him. But the, is the Egyptians, they have suffered a great loss. So as we go into these chapters, we are going to once again see God in his many facets. And we are going to learn about this God who has already described himself as the I am that I am, the one who is greater than anybody and anything. We continue to walk with Moses, who is God's spokesperson. We encounter Aaron, who is Moses' spokesperson and also his brother, and also the Pharaoh. We are seeing how the Pharaoh 
has suffered great loss and how he has been shown not to be superior. God has come above him. So through the 10 plagues, God showed the Egyptians that he was greater than their entire sacrificial system and every pagan God that they worshiped. And you can go through all the different gods that the ancient Egyptians worshipped. And God, in his display of his power through the, through the different plagues, showed that he was greater than everyone that was worshipped. With the plagues of the lice and of the swarms of insects and all of that, he shows that he can stop their entire worship system. And God wants to show not only the Egyptians his power, but also to the Israelites, because they would need to know it for the journey that they were about to embark on. As God is with them, he is leading them with the pillar of fire, the pillar of cloud, of the cloud, and he is taking them to the place where he has already directed Moses to lead them. So we're going to start in chapter 14. Now the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel that they turn and camp before Pi-Harioth between Migdal and the sea, opposite baal Zephon. You shall camp before it by the sea. So I'm going to pause right there because God gave Moses specific instructions as to where to bring the Israelites and where, for, where they were to camp. And this is very important because you can see that God set this up to reveal his glory to another dimension, another level. Verse 3 says, For Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel, they are bewildered by the land. The wilderness has closed them in. Then I will harden Pharaoh's heart so that he will pursue them. And I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over all his army, that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. And they did so. So this, these were the instructions that God gave to Moses. And, and God is really setting it up. He's setting up an ambushment for Pharaoh. And after the last uh, plague, which was the death of all the firstborn, God really showed that he was to be feared and he was to be worshipped. But Pharaoh's heart changes after the Israelites are actually let go. And so as his heart changes, he readies his chariots, 600 chosen chariots, and all the chariots of Egypt, and um, he releases them after the Israelites. Now, let's look at what this scene could have looked like. So 600 chariots, and each chariot has about two people, one to drive it and one to fight. So not only are there a lot of chariots, but a lot of people coming after the, the Israelites. And the scripture tells us that the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh and he pursued them and overtook them. So the Israelites are trapped. They have the army behind them and they have the sea in front of them. So when they see the situation that they're in, uh, in verse 11 to 14, they say to Moses, because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you so dealt with us to bring us up out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we told you in Egypt saying, let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. So they, they have turned on Moses as they see the situation that they're in. And listen, the situation is terrifying right? They're probably tired, weary, unsure of what's going to happen. The seas in front of them and all of the, the sound, the thundering of all the chariots are behind them. So that is a terrifying situation. 
But verse 13, Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians who you see today, you shall see again no more forever. The Lord will fight for you and you shall hold your peace. So remember, the Israelites have just come through the 10 plagues, seeing how God has spared them, seeing how God has advocated for them, fought for them, and now they're in this terrifying situation. And they would have preferred to stay in bondage, to stay under the hand of Pharaoh. And so they they um, express their complaints. And Moses says to them, listen, God is going to fight for us. Don't worry. Don't be afraid. God is going to deliver us. And so the Lord says to Moses <laughs> in verse 15 to 18, why do you cry to me? Tell the children of Israel to go forward, but lift up your rod and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. And, and the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. And I indeed will harden the hearts of the Egyptians and they shall follow them. So I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over all his army, his chariots and his horsemen. Then the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gained honor for myself over Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. Now, God was setting them up for greater glory for himself and also to give the Israelites space between them and their adversaries. Of course, they don't know what's coming. They can't see it, and they react to what's in front of them. And can we take that for our lives? When God gives us instructions, when he leads us in a certain way, we see the challenges, we see the mountains before us. We don't know how he's going to deliver us, and we can murmur, we can complain, we can turn our backs. There are many, many things that we can do. But may this be an encouragement that even if you don't know how he's going to deliver you, guarantee that he will deliver you because he is faithful to his word. He sometimes sets things up that he will get glory. He will get more honor. And that through your life, people will see and know that God is real. So God releases this word to Moses and then the angel of the Lord that was leading Moses and the Israelites goes from before them to behind them and also the pillar of cloud that was in front of them leading, guiding them through, through the day and through the night went behind them. And this pillar of cloud um, gives light to the Israelites even though it's behind them and it brings darkness to the Egyptians. So the Egyptians can't really see what's going on. So Moses does what the Lord says. He stretches out his hand over the sea and the Lord causes the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night. And as the waters recede, the ground becomes dry, which is a miracle in itself. Because even when you remove the water from somewhere, there's usually residue or the, whatever is left has become saturated with water, so it's wet. But the ground becomes dry for them. So the Israelites go through on dry ground and the Egyptians pursue them, go into the midst of the sea. And the scripture says something that's very, um, I would say, almost humorous, where God causes the chariots wheels to fall off so that the, Israel, the Egyptians have a hard time to drive the, um, the chariots into the sea. All of that is part of the plan to give the Israelites enough time to go through the sea. And it tells us in scripture that when all the Israelites had passed through, Moses stretched out his hand, and by the morning the sea returned to its full depth, and the Egyptians are still going into it. So verse 28 and 29, then the waters receded and covered the chariots, the horsemen, and all the army 
of Pharaoh. Verse 29 says, but the children of Israel had walked on dry land in the midst of the sea and the waters were a wall to them on the right hand and on the left. So they go through the sea and they have this miraculous moment with God once again. And as we move over to chapter 15, when they come out on the other side, Moses and the children of Israel, they begin to sing to the Lord a great song, a song of victory, a song of thanksgiving, a song of praise because what of what God has done. And I won't read the entire chapter for you, but I'm going to read a couple of verses from verse one to four. It says, I will sing to the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and its rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and song and he has become my salvation. He is my God and I will praise him. My father is God and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his army he has cast into the sea. He has chosen captains. His chosen captains also are drowned in the Red Sea. So they, de they declare the greatness of God. They sing of the victory that they have just experienced. They, they describe that God is a God of, of war, that he is one who avenges his enemies, and he's victorious against everyone who is against him. And even in verse 9, it says, The enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil. My desire shall be satisfied on them. I will draw my sword, my hand shall destroy them. So they continue to describe the greatness of God and what he has just brought them through and how he delivered them. So praise is very comely for coming out of a challenging situation. May praise be on your mouth when God brings you through. And they continue in this song. I mean, I would have loved to hear the music. I would have loved to see this scene of all these millions of people just worshiping God and praising God. And they continue to, to talk about who can be compared to the God. And one of my favorite verses, verse 11 says, Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? You are glorious in holiness. You are fearful in praises and you're doing wonders. You know, I often use that in my own time of, of worship and praising the Lord. It's just such a it's such beautiful poetry too who is like god so the outcome that god had expected was done god said he would deliver them and he's he's done it and through the whole process we're just seeing his power being demonstrated and one of the things too that the song of moses um, describes is that the people who hear of the lord will be afraid of him they will come to respect him because they will see that he is greater than every other God. And it ends in verse 17 where it says, you will bring them in and plant them in the mountain of your inheritance, in the place, O Lord, which you have made for your own dwelling, the sanctuary, O Lord, which you have established. So they're in their praise, they're saying, yeah, you're gonna bring us to the place that you've designed for us and you're gonna establish us and things will be well. So the scene changes from Moses and all the people of Israel just praising and worshiping God to Miriam, Moses's sister who is um, described as a prophetess. So it's going, you're going to see in her life, she has a prophetic gifting. She's able to hear what the Lord is saying. She's able to foretell what the Lord wants. And she grabs her tambourines and her and the other women and they come out and they praise the Lord. So this is the second part of the praise party. And 
they are just worshiping and giving God thanks. All right, so it is a, a joyous celebration. God has done a mighty work. Their enemy has been like basically wiped out and God has triumphed gloriously. Okay, so this is a necessary time of rejoicing. You know, for us to it is good that when we come through and we come out that we rejoice because we can move forward in that strength and especially when you rejoice with others there's a communal experience of joy which is necessary because as you go through the pain is real the fear is real the anxiety is real so when you come through let the joy be real let the celebration be real because you will need that. And it also um, displays a heart of gratitude to God for his delivering power. Yes, so they rejoice, but as, as some action moves on, that rejoicing kind of shifts to murmuring and complaining. And oh, we can point fingers at the Israelites, but oh, for us too. After we celebrate, after we rejoice, we are often quick to complain again. So they move into the wilderness three days and they find no water. Now, this is a real problem, okay? They're, they're in the wilderness, there's a lot of people, and there is no water for them to drink. And the water that they did find, the waters of Mara, were so bitter that they could not be consumed. So what did they do? They complained against Moses. But one of the things that Moses understands is even though they're complaining against Moses, they are really complaining against God. Because Moses knows that all of this is possible only because of God's word and God's presence. So when they are coming up against Moses, they're really coming up against God. So uh, they complain to Moses. Moses goes to God. But God shows Moses a tree. And he, when Moses casts that, the, the branch into the water, the water is made sweet. So we're seeing the provision and the protection of God once again. And God is really displaying himself to his people so they'll get to know him and that he is really their protector and their provider. In verse 25 to 26, it says this, there he made a statute and an ordinance for them. And there he tested them and said, if you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight, give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you, which I have put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. God has just shown that he is able to turn bitter waters into sweet so that they would have the nourishment that they need. And they have already seen through the plagues what God is capable of. And he's letting them know, all I want you to do is to obey my voice, walk with me, do what is right in my sight, keep, keep my commandments and all that I ask you to do and all will be well, right? It seems simple, seems straightforward, but we are people and many times we go our own way, we go astray, even though we know what the consequences will be. Thank God for his mercy. Thank God for his mercy on our lives. So we continue into chapter 16 and they continue on their journey and they come to the wilderness of sin. There's a month after they have left Egypt, they have been walking for a while. God has provided for them every step of the way. But we read in verse 2, then the whole congregation of the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. 
And the children of Israel said to them, Oh, that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the pots of meat, and when we ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Doesn't it sound so familiar? When we have a, a challenge, how we, we go back to how it was and how it could have been. And one of the things that we see, even in research, we rarely remember the past accurately. But yet, when challenges come, we tend to want something that may have been real or may not have been real. But it shows us with the, the Israelites that God wants us to keep looking forward towards the promises that he has made and trust in his character and trust in his heart towards us that he will do what is the best for us. So the Lord promises to provide for them. And in verse four to six, we read that the Lord said to Moses, behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a certain quota every day that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. And it shall be on the sixth day that they shall prepare what they bring in, and it shall be twice as much as they gather daily. And so the, in the will of God, but there are challenges, all right? Just a note for yourself that in, even in the will of God, everything will not be smooth. God is working for his glory and for our good. So he, he gives this the solution or this preparation that he's going to provide for them, but it's also a test for them to see if they're going to walk in his ways, they're going to follow him. He's really going towards their character and their heart posture. And so Moses and Aaron, they convey this message to the children of Israel, and they do receive the food that God provides for them. They receive meat in the evening, which is quails. God causes quails to, to come onto the land, and they also receive bread from heaven. And God calls it bread from heaven, but the Israelites call it manna, which is translated, what is that? Because they don't know, they've never seen it before, and they're having a hard time understanding what this, this grain-like um, substance is that is left on the ground after the dew each day. Like I said, the Lord calls it bread from heaven, and later we see it's described like um, a coriander seed, so maybe the size of a, a sesame seed, and it's sweet like honey. And um, later on in the scripture, it talks a little bit more about it, the color of it, like a pearl-like color, and it was either baked or boiled. They had to gather it, usually like sweep it up, and that's how they would prepare their food. So the Lord wants to, to test them with this. This blessing of bread from heaven comes with a responsibility of obedience. So he would give them what they need, but he would test them to see if they would be able to obey him. And this is necessary because remember, this: these are his people, the nation through which he is going to do mighty things and then bring the Savior. So they have to follow the word and the will of God. And the test for this is that they would get um, the manna every day for six days. And on the sixth day, they would have twice as much because on the seventh day, which is the Sabbath, they would not receive any, any manna. They were not to do any work. That was a day of rest. So they're supposed to gather and there's instructions of how many, how much they gather to their full and they gather it um, for five days. On the sixth day, they take twice as much, but they are not to keep any for the next day, except for the sixth day, because on the seventh day, they're going to rest. But from day one to day five, whatever they gather there to eat in that day, and not to keep it. Some obey, 
some don't. And for those who don't obey God's instructions, you know, over on the next day, it starts to stink and it's filled with worms. And also um, the Lord instructs to Moses and Aaron that they are to save some of the the manna for the generations to come, to put it in this um, vessel. And this would be uh, saved as a memorial so they would see what God provided and how God provided for the Israelites. And verse 35 says to us, And the children of Israel ate manna 40 years until they came to an inhabited land. They ate manna until they came to the border of the land of Canaan. So that lets us know that God provided for them every step of the way in their journey in the wilderness, even when they disobeyed him, which we will see um, a little bit later on. When they turn basically on God, he still continues to provide for them. And that moves us over to chapter 17. I'm going to read to you from the first couple of verses so you get an idea of the scene that is happening. It says, Then all the congregation of the children of Israel set out on their journey from the wilderness of sin, according to the commandment of the Lord, and they camped in Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people contended with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. So Moses said to them, Why do you contend with me? Why do you tempt the Lord? And the people thirsted there for water, and the people complained against Moses and said, Why is it you have brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried out to the Lord, saying, What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. Now, this, of course, once again, was a difficult situation. A lot of people in the wilderness, no water. They needed. There would have been livestock and children and women. Some women probably pregnant. There would have been the elderly. They would have needed water. And so it is important for them to have this provision. But they have also started to build this track record with God that he has provided for them in miraculous ways. And he is giving them quail. He's giving them manna. So he can definitely give them water. And like I said, Moses understands, although they're complaining against him, they are really complaining against the Lord. And he lets them know that. God in his mercy gives a strategy. So he tells Moses to go before the people and some of the elders and take the rod that he used, you know, the one that he um, put over the Red Sea, which and caused it to open up. Take that rod and strike the rock that was in Horeb and water would come out of it for the people to drink. This is a miracle. He does that and the water comes and the people are satisfied. There must have been a lot of water that came out to be able to satisfy the, the, the need for water among the people. And he names the, the place where this happens, Massa and Meribah. Um, and that alludes to the contention of the children of Israel. And they, because they tempted the Lord, saying, is the Lord among us or not? Every time they encounter a challenge, they question, is the Lord here? Oh, that I just pause for a moment because for us as believers, as people who are of faith, who are walking with God, sometimes that happens to us too. 
when we, we move in a direction the Lord asks us to, when it, according to his instruction, when we encounter challenges, because for some reason we think there should be no challenge, but when we encounter challenges, we wonder, did I miss God? Is God really here? Did God forget me? But he doesn't want us to have that um, mindset. He wants us to be able to, in the challenges, see it as an opportunity for him to show his hand of power and his heart of love. So after they have this um, this moment with the water and the rock and how they are satisfied once again through the mercies of God, then Amalek comes and fights with Israel. The same place where they're camping, now they have to engage in battle. A little bit later in, in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 25, 17, 18 says this, Remember what Amalek did to you on the way as you were coming out of Egypt, how he met you on the way and he attacked your rare ranks, all the stragglers at your rear when you were tired and weary and he did not fear God. So they're encountering their first enemy, and his strategy was that he went up against those who were who were weak, those who were in the back, who those who were weary, and and started his battle there. So it's it's really a harsh strategy. He doesn't go up against the strongest; he goes up against the weakest. So in verse nine to ten, Moses says to Joshua. So we meet Joshua. Let me pause that we meet Joshua the first time we're introduced to him, and we introduced to him as a warrior, as a man of strategy, as a man who is militant. All right. So he meets. Uh, he speaks to Joshua and says, "Choose us some men and go out fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand." So Joshua did as Moses said to him and fought with Amalek. Now what happens is that Moses and Aaron and Hur, so Moses and his brother and another one of his assistants goes up to the top of the hill and when he holds his hands up with the rod, what happens? The Israelites are prevailing. Joshua is winning. But every time he brings his hand down because his hands are going to get heavy, then they start to lose. So there's a strategy where Aaron and her put uh, Moses to sit on a rock and they take one hand each and they hold it, his hand up. And listen, they held up for a long time. So as Moses is interceding, uh, he's there as a representative of God. He's interceding for the people of God. Aaron and her are a necessary part in, in Moses' longevity. We need other people. I'm so glad that the Lord included this uh, record in the scriptures for us, that we need each other. We need those who support us and we need to support other people so that we are able to be stronger in our different life battles and also be more unified. So this intercession goes up and the Israelites, listen, they conquer. This is their first real battle and they win. So they're going to have that courage to keep going on. God is with them. God is providing for them. And they have been slaves for 400 years. And now they're turning into a strong militant people who are going to be able to defend um, themselves and also to move into the territory that the Lord is going to bring them to. 
we read verses 14 to 16, Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this for a memorial in the book and recount it in the hearing of Joshua, that I will utterly blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called its name, The Lord is my banner, or also known as Jehovah Nisi. Verse 16, for he said, because the Lord has sworn, the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. As we go through the Bible, you will see that this comes to pass, that there is this ongoing um, battle with Amalek. But we're seeing that the Israelites are able through the intercession of God's prophet and also through the, the strategy of Joshua and the unity of their people, they are able to defend themselves. And it shows that God is really with them. He's taken them from slaves to victors, and he's continually building within them the strength that they need to be able to go forward into all the plans that he has for them. So where we are right now, Jehovah Nisi, has provided. Jehovah Nisi has prevailed. And the people of God are stronger, they are wiser, and they're building their own track record with the people around them that they, they are able to hold their ground. God is faithful.